up, everybody? Welcome back for another edition of the Couchside Judges. I'm Dan Urban, joined by my partner, Scott Fontana. Saturday gave us something new in the UFC Apex era, a night with more decisions than finishes. Even though the majority of the fights went the distance, we still saw some pretty fun fights, especially the co-main event in which Josh Emmett got the unanimous decision victory over Shane Burgos. Great fight for sure. Wish that had been a five-round main event instead of Curtis Blade's bland decision over Alexander Volkov at heavyweight. For the counterside judges, the most interesting thing to come out of the fight was the scoring of the last two rounds, with the judges almost unanimously gave to Volkov. Much of MMA Twitter hated the idea, feeling Blades won all five rounds. Dan and I will tell you why the judges absolutely were right this time. So yeah, Dan, we had this five-round main event. Curtis Blades was clearly winning with the wrestling early in the fight. Won all three rounds on all the judges' cards. Won them all on my card. Won them all on your card, right? Yep. Round four comes around, though, and things are a little bit different. How did you score round four? Round four, I gave to Volkov 10-9. I mean, Blades had it for like the first four minutes and 30 seconds. Even though only about 30 seconds at that time was effective offense, I still had him winning it. Until, I mean, the last 30 seconds, Volkov busts him up, hits him with a lot of strikes, took him down, and actually did something with the takedown. It was easy call, in my, my opinion. I also thought this was a Volkov round. I was not as convinced as you. I thought it was close. I thought he definitely did shore it up in the end, but but it was kind of a close round where I ended up going Volkov there, at least the first time I watched. Second time, knowing how it went, obviously you feel a little differently when you watch it, but I'm watching this fight, and you know I, I took some notes here you know, just to kind of walk through the steps of why this was a Volkov round. I think it's important you kind of break down something like this. Blades, like you said, was up early in the round. He didn't do much with any of the takedowns necessarily, but he did land some in the clinch. That's kind of where the offense right what that i was seeing was coming from mm-hmm. and he did have that one punch on the feet before the takedown like kind of two minutes in you remember that kind of that one at distance uh, yeah i felt he was actually winning the strikes for pretty much until that last 30 seconds no i understand that but i didn't think it was by a high degree like he was winning but not by too much if herb never stood him up i would have had to give it to blades yeah but then obviously we get that other takedown here and blades is just kind of lying on him it, and not really doing much work because we're about halfway through the round at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's around this time where you hear Dominic Cruz posit that Blades is resting so that he has energy for another takedown, which drove me nuts because that is just insane logic. I mean, I love Dominic Cruz on post fights. I love him and really only that and as a fighter. But as someone who scores fights, I never want him to be my judge as someone who is coaching me, I probably don't even want him in my corner. Like some some of the things that he says I just totally disagree with. I think it goes even beyond that. I think you have somebody who's in an influential position as him, as a commentator on the UFC broadcast, telling you things like that. If I'm a fighter and I'm sitting at home and I'm watching that, I hear, oh, Dominic Cruz, former UFC champion, one of the greatest fighters of 155 and under of all time, he's telling me, Oh yeah, you know, I I can just go for a takedown and then try to get up and rinse, repeat, and that's worth going for. Like, that's something that you should actually put your energy into. Once you get the takedown, keep it there. Go for offense. Dominic Cruz, we see in all his fights, end of the round is when he starts take, trying to go for takedowns because he believes that secures him the, the round. 
Yeah, that's We've what he believes. And, and maybe career. there was a time back when he was active about nine years ago instead of just fighting every so often the last nine years. Maybe that would have worked, but it doesn't work now. I just don't see him evolving with the criteria and, and definitely not understanding it. I think he's only fought once since they kind of revised the, the verbiage of the criteria about four years ago. So, you know, really, it, it almost didn't apply to anything he's ever done. Yeah, I wish he'd keep his uh, scoring opinions to himself. Just, you know, him and Bisping. I thought I, I could I didn't agree with anything they said scoring wise. But more importantly, if, if I'm a fighter at home and I hear him say that and I'm a wrestler, if I do that and I start doing this in fights and, and I focus more on getting a takedown than actually punching, which is which seems to be the message he's sending here, that's going to lose fighters fights. They're getting the, essentially the wrong coaching in, in a sense. You know, they're being told something. Right. You know, it's one thing for you and I at home where we're just like, all right, well, that doesn't make sense, you know, or we're just learning it wrong. Fighters obviously watch this and they're going to apply it. And if it doesn't work their way, they're not going to know why they're losing fights. Yeah, I, I think Herb Dean could have stood him up a lot quicker. Every time he told him to work, he'd do just the bare minimum where Herb would back off and be like, okay. Oh, it really and was then, the bare minimum. Like, that's for sure. Like he, the, he would stand up a right leg and Herb was like, oh, okay. And then maybe throw one strike to the body. And actually, yeah, to get back to the actual events of the fight, talking about 90 seconds left, this is where Volkov actually starts to unload with some hard elbows to Blade's head. And they were way more effective offense than, as far as I'm concerned, anything that Blades had done in the previous 90 seconds. Yeah, I, I really didn't score them that high, but they were definitely more than what he did on the ground. Yeah, oh yeah, for sure. I don't know that he had taken back the round at this point, but the the, the gap is closing here. You know, it doesn't matter that he's on bottom. He, he's actually throwing and landing with impact, which is something that Blades hadn't been doing down there. So yeah, then you get to those last 30, 40 seconds like we're talking about. And then Herb finally stands them up. Volkov finally lets go, lands a good knee, some hard straight punches. He busts open Blade's lip. I think it was his lip. Uh, it looked like it was, his lip was busted up in the post fight. Uh, and it's leaking badly all over Volkov's back. So that's got to be it, right? Definitely was bleeding there. And then, the, you know, the takedown with, the, with actual offense behind it solidified it. Yeah, yeah. He got his own takedown. He, and like you said, he was landing ground strikes. This is way more offense than... Blades had put together in that round. I, you know, I think anyone sitting at home, realistically, if you're looking for someone to put offense on the table and not just point fight, why wouldn't you say that this round belongs to Volkov just because he was being taken down? I mean, you know, it's not like takedowns are worth a certain point in, in MMA. That's not how it works. Is it even point fighting? Not really. I mean, it kind of is, but it kind of isn't. It shouldn't score any points. Correct. But it seems to be the, the thinking behind it is that, oh, I get this takedown and I'm on top of him. Even if I'm resting, I'm still in good position. Not really. It doesn't work like that anymore. You know, we've heard Rob Hines come on our show and, and essentially tell us the same thing. And Blades has such awesome ground and pound if he isn't entire, completely exhausted. You know, the other thing is, too, that I, I kind of noticed this on the, rewatching the fight today. I didn't catch it the night before. He had come in about 10 pounds, more than 10 pounds heavier than in his previous fight. So I don't know. Maybe he just wasn't in the best shape for this fight. I don't know. You, you can only speculate, but, you know, he trains at altitude, like they say. And obviously when you hear, oh, trains at altitude, guys should be able to go five rounds. doesn't always work that way, but. We're going to see a lot of Corona weight for a while. <laughs> this is true. Everybody's in a different spot. I'm actually down in weight, I should say. I'm, I'm getting closer <laughs> to, uh, I'm getting closer to that lightweight limit than I am uh, the middleweight or, or 205. I think I could be. <laughs> but, uh, you know, 
credit to the judges here gave a uh, two of three anyway gave the brown to volkov that was sal diamato and chris lee eric cologne did give this one to blades but and i don't want to speak for him he's he's certainly capable of speaking for himself if he, if he so chooses but he did have a bad angle at that last sequence around the cage with the takedown and and when blades was busted up so you kind of wonder if he was able to really tell how much impact volkov was able to put upon blades so that kind of explains why maybe he went for blades in this round still yeah as opposed to his peers going the other way the clinch strike and even when they separate he did land a couple strikes before he you know got busted open but sure but i think it's volkov we're we're looking at you know the bulk of the round having been even by your admission the bulk of the round had been a blades round Mm -hmm. so i can understand why he went that way that's for him to say or not say but it makes sense to me when you when you look at the man sitting there and you can see him in the camera he's trying to struggle around the uh the post and it's hard to see i can understand that yeah for sure there's always uh, different variables we've exhausted round four here How about round five though this again was this a volkov round yeah i gave this one the volkov and all three judges did as well just like i did for me i think this was an even easier call you know good jabs from volkov in the first minute had a nice uppercut solid body kick blades was landing too but Volkov, this was his world, you know, and he was showing it. So Blades gets that takedown. He doesn't do much but control position once again. He's obviously tired. Uh, A couple punches here and there. Nothing to make up for the deficit Volkov had already put him in. And Volkov reverses and stands up. He's obviously in much better shape this round than Blades. Yeah, I I didn't even question going Volkov on this round. This is just totally clear in my eyes. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, again, Blades does clinch. When he can't get the takedown, he lands some knees. They don't seem as impactful at this point. Blades drops down for an ankle. Volkov just keeps punching to the head while he's defending the takedown. And finally, he gets the takedown with 80 seconds to go or so. He's land- he lands right in that triangle position. Volkov's kind of looking for it. He can't really get yeah, it. His, his right leg was stuck. He couldn't pull it out. Yeah, it's not something you necessarily weigh here, but Blades does nothing offensive from this position. Yeah, it just hangs on. Mm-hmm. So they're trading ground strikes basically for the final minute or so volkov's landing too and i thought he was landing better off the back than uh than blades was on top he was kind of just lying on top still like he'd been doing for the last almost 10 minutes yeah i just i really wish they wouldn't put non-title heavyweights in five round fights i know i know it's it's a real shame it's it's tough because blades is somebody whose stature as a top heavyweight in the world he really belongs there for sure but yeah i mean Nobody was really itching to see five rounds of this. And then we it kind of was even more underwhelming than it could have been. Yeah. To get back to the round itself, I just don't see how Blades wins this round, especially when you put more weight into the striking, which is what you're supposed to do, than the takedown. Yeah, it's... You know what? This was the final fight of the night, and this was a buildup of the commentary we we heard throughout the night. Just little sentences we've heard in other fights. Oh, that last second takedown really seals the deal in the judge's eyes and the fact is it isn't and you know the commentator should be a little bit more uh, educated here they should be i was surprised at the number of voices who i trust on twitter even saying this too you know i I don't know what you owe it to i don't know if it was just fatigue or what because this fight was obviously not the most interesting Um, but credit to the judges all gave it to volkov like we said here rightfully so obviously it was too little too late for him no one's making the case that Volkov should have won this fight. No, definitely not. We're talking about a fight where Curtis Blades was absolutely 
crushing in the first three rounds. So there was nothing Volko could have do, done but finish it or somehow gotten a 10-8, but he wasn't even close to the 10-8 range here. Yeah, we were, we were, we're just arguing over two lackluster rounds that the uh, Twitter world is up in arms about. Mm-hmm. And But credit to the judges once again. Although, on the topic of 10-8s, round one of this fight, one of the judges, Chris Lee, did go 10-8 for Blades. Did you go 10-8 in no, that round? No, definitely not. I no, I didn't either. I, I don't even see a case for a 10-8 here. I mean, clearly Volkov had zero offense. I think that's probably where the case comes in here. You, you start, start talking about damage and, and uh, I mean, but domination. Was there any you know? damage? I mean, there was no fight ending attacks. Like, he didn't even attack the head, I don't think. Well, I mean, damage was... is, is damage. It's impact, you know? Yeah, that's but, that's but, what we're talking about. They want they want to see the, you know, moving towards ending the fight. They Kneeing someone in the side of the hip, while it may hurt, I just can't give that strictly a 10-8. I mean, you, you can't see how he's reacting. He's probably not even defending it, just eating it, hoping for a moment where he can stand up again. I think once you factor in how the disparity of offense was, that's when you start to say, okay, there was damage, obviously, from Blades, and there was domination because it was getting to that point. It was it was just so disparate in terms of what they were putting out. But the duration, it's, it's that third D for me that you can't give this a 10-8. I mean, I guess you could consider it because you don't need all three Ds. You can go two and say, okay, this was a strong case that you can put 10-8 here. But I didn't think it was at that territory either. I also went 10-9. I'm not even giving damage. I mean, maybe domination. Well, I mean, someone has to get know. damage. <laughs> I'm not. No, I'm not scoring. That's that. how damage works. He's not getting the D for damage. <laughs> well, well, if he doesn't get the D for damage, then it's a draw. No, I mean, he landed some strikes, but how, how damaging was it? It wasn't really. I mean, I get what you're saying, but I think that's what we're talking about there is more the degree of damage. And that's okay. So, okay. So he gets a lowercase D, (laughs) you know, I would say this though, if we were doing past judgment and using our scoring criteria here, this to me looks like a 10, eight in our system. We'd probably have to wouldn't like it, but I'd have to because it's a lopsided 10, nine. That's really what it is. When when we call something a 10, eight in our system, we're talking about what would normally be a lopsided 10, nine, more or less. For sure. You know, that's why I think it'd be nice if we had a little more degrees to play with than calling this the same as some of the other rounds we saw. But, I mean, nonetheless, it's moot. This was a Blades win. It doesn't really matter how it went down, ultimately, because the right guy got the win. But, you know, we we like to look into these things, of course, and and kind of cut to the core of how judges are scoring things and, and let people know, right? Yeah, he looked great for three rounds. I mean, and then... Rounds four and five, he was tired. So, I mean, there's nothing overly impressive here. Nothing that makes them question themselves saying, hey, maybe we have to put Ngannou versus Blades 3 for a title eliminator. Like, there's no shot that this even puts him close to it. I still think that never would have happened, even if Blades came out here looking like a like a house of fire. I don't see why they would ever book that. Why would they try to hurt Francis Ngannou's ability to fight for the title again? He's the most marketable heavyweight they have. Well, they, yeah, they definitely need that. Well, that's enough for the main event. I think we've kind of exhausted that to the degree that we need to. You know, so let's move on to the co-main event here. This was actually the much better fight, as we alluded to earlier. Great fight. Josh Emmett getting the win. Unanimous decision over Shane Burgos. And Burgos knew he lost right when the scores were being announced because one of them was 29-27. And he's like, well, there's no way I could have gotten 29-27. <laughs> so you can see you can see the look on his face. He was, he was like, 29-27. 
no nah, that can't be me and then he's yeah. like ah oh, it stinks that that stinks <laughs> for him <laughs> but you know i would say this is a fight where the judges definitely got especially round one i think they got absolutely correct but it's worth talking about because there was a lot of split in terms of the way people were interpreting it at home i think mma decisions i went to their their page for this fight and if you look at the fan submissions it was almost an even split for emmett and burgos in round one they leaned slightly to emmett so it was clear that this was something that at least as a collective mma fans contested so yeah let's talk about it how did you have round one i scored it for emmett 10-9 yep same judges had the same michael bell Derek cleary ron mccarthy It, it was a close round but I don't know. How did you see it actually happening? What was it that made you go Emmett's way? Uh, He landed the stronger, more impactful strikes. And I definitely favor strong, consistent head strikes versus leg kicks. As Yes, that's the pattern I think probably regular listeners have picked up on from you. So while the leg kicks looked effective from Burgos, and they were, especially the outside leg kick, which he gets the biggest reaction out of Emmett and then... Says, all right, I'm not going to do that anymore for this round. Which I don't know why, because if he did keep going it that way, perhaps he gets a leg kick TKO, the third one at UFC Apex. But instead, we're left debating which was more effective. He might have even, I mean, if he kept doing it, he might have won the round for me. Yeah, I can understand that. And, And honestly, I do understand those who favored Burgos in this round, because if if they come to me and they say, hey, listen, this was Burgos. Those leg kicks were clearly getting a reaction out of Emmett. You could tell that it was hampering him. I'd say, okay, I get that. I disagreed. I think that the punches, you know, that right hand that was kind of there all day, I think that was more impactful just as you did for Emmett. So I did lean that way, but I do understand going the other way. I hope the argument or their reasoning is leg kicks were very impactful. I hope it's not because he was pressing forward. Because if he is, then there's just still a big miscommunication with the criteria as it pertains to aggression and area control. Yeah, I hope you're right, too. I'm, I'll be optimistic. I think that they, you know, anyone who's going to MMADecisions.com, I would have to think is at least educated enough about MMA. You know, we're, we're talking about a sect of fans that just goes there. But yeah, you never know. You know, I, I think probably a good amount of people would have been swayed by the way the commentators were calling this round, obviously drawing a lot of attention to the kicks and not as much with the punches they were you know they were talking about Emmett's hand speed but if you just listen to the fight like let's pretend it was just a radio broadcast I think most people would just assume Burgos was winning this round MMA on radio would be interesting I would love I'd love to hear somebody do an MMA radio broadcast sometimes I'm driving and I'm like I want to hear what's going on but I can't watch because I'm driving you know so yeah that, that would be nice but eh, neither here nor there round three though this was a round that actually the judges were a little split on here. Michael Bell gave this a 10-8, whereas Cleary and McCarthy went 10-9. I also went 10-9 for Emmett. This was for Emmett. What about you? Same thing, 10-9 Emmett. It had potential for a 10-8. It did. It did. There were two knockdowns from Emmett, one in kind of the first minute there, and then another one later on. It was that first knockdown, though. He really just kind of knocked him down. Landed a couple ground strikes and then settled in. Yeah, he just he accepted being put in guard. No follow-up action. You know, you're trying to look for damage for duration or domination for duration, and they just don't check off that duration. It's it's really what, again, Rob Hines was alluding to when he spoke to us a couple weeks ago, that 
sometimes a fighter can work themselves out of a 10-8 because they don't push. That's what it really seemed like here. He didn't get that third D duration in this particular knockdown, the first one. I think that this fight is a perfect case in a, where, you know, a fighter talks to judges out of giving them a 10-8. It's, it's a tough one, though, because because of the second knockdown. The second knockdown is where it gets more complicated because on this one, Emmett followed up more. He definitely was giving a little bit more duration of damage on the ground and dominance. Right. But Burgos was able to recover. He got back up and, and you know, he was competitive, too. Just because he was competitive doesn't mean he can't get a 10-8 against him. But I still just didn't think it quite hit what they're looking for the judges in a 10-8. You know, Michael Bell notwithstanding. Well, again, there's moments in the fight where they're just staring at each other in this round. Yes. And, you know, Emmett, I mean, if he just pushed a little bit, maybe I do go 10-8. Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. It's it's That's why I don't know if this is necessarily a textbook case of what we were talking about, but it's an interesting one to look at. I think it's a it's a very complex round to score, if you ask me, but I'm still definitely talking about it. a 10-8 in the couchside judges system. This is the this is one of the rare fights that I can say I probably would most definitely give this a 10-8 in our system. Mm-hmm. Without even thinking about it. Yeah. The groin strike threw a little uh, curveball into the mix. It did. You know, I would love to, you know, if we ever get Rob Hines on again or if I talk to any of my judges that I, I speak to occasionally, I would love to ask them how a prolonged stoppage in a round due to a groin strike or another foul of some sort an eye poke or whatever i would love to know how that throws off their rhythm and their ability to kind of assess around because of the the amount of time you have to focus and remember what happened for got to be complicated you're basically putting the round into two different rounds almost yeah that's got to be hard love to love to get to the the root of that one well those were the most high profile fights of the night here of course but there were a bunch of decisions on this card like we mentioned i don't think we need to get too deep into the weeds on these ones, but let's just give our scores for the rounds that we had real quick and quick reasons why we went that way. So Dan, let's start with Raquel Pennington getting the unanimous decision over Marion Renault. Round one though, this was the close round here. How did you have it? I went 10-9 Renault. It was a close round. I, I favored Renault's offense. Uh, you know, Pennington did have decent clinch work, but I still favored Renault. Very close round. I went 10-9 Pennington. Yeah, like you said, you know, she had her own successes. Renault had her own successes. I just gave Pennington the slight edge. And uh, Eric Cologne ended up seeing it the same way as me, whereas Michael Bell, Sal Diamato, they went with you. What about uh, Bobby Green over Clay Guida? Unanimous decision. Round one was close here. How did you have it? I went 10-9. Bobby Green, another close round. I just favored his offense more. We're split again. I had Guida here close. No problem with Green getting this one. I, I really I take no issue there, but... Guida, for me, he had the slight edge standing before that impactful takedown he had. Green landed some shots when he was down there, but again, this could go either way. Yeah. Now, Ron McCarthy and Derek Cleary, they had Guida just like I did, whereas Chris Lee went green just like you. So, yeah, we obviously we we were split, so were the judges here. Lauren Murphy, though, she got her unanimous decision victory over Roxanne Modafferi in a fight that I thought really should have been much higher on the bout list. I mean, you put this... Second out of 12 on the night. Crazy. But round three, how did you have this one? Uh, very close round. Scored it for Modafferi. 10-9. Thought uh, she landed the better uh, strike, especially the four-punch flurry that drove Murphy against the cage. That was really what settled it for me. Okay. Yeah, I respect that one, too. Another close one here. I did go Murphy. I thought she was slightly ahead 
on the striking overall before she even got that takedown. The takedown didn't add that much, but yeah, Bisping. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, I had her up 20 to 18 at this point. So it really doesn't matter which way you go on this round. You know, you want to get it right, but it wasn't going to affect the the result here. You know, the, the judges also were split on this one. Cleary and Rick Winter both gave it to Murphy, whereas Chris Lee had for Roxanne Modafferi like you. Chris Lee, you, you and him, uh, him were kind of on the same page here, huh? Yes, we were. Jillian Robertson, moving on. She got a sub victory in round three over Courtney Casey, but round one, which didn't end up mattering, was split here. How did you have round one? I don't even know how it was split. This was 10-9 Robertson. There was barely any offense this round, but the little offense that was effective came from Robertson. Yeah, absolutely. I, you completely nailed my assessment here. You know, We're talking about almost nothing offensive, mostly a positional battle. But yeah, I didn't really see much of an argument for Casey, which is what Rick Winter picked, uh, whereas Bell and Chris Lee went Robertson just as you and I did. And the final round we want to talk about here, Austin Hubbard over... Max Roshkopf in a fight that we'll, we'll have more thoughts on in just a moment. But round one was split. How did you have it? I gave it to Roshkopf 10-9. Really thought the striking was just about even, and I really scored his submission attacks rather heavily. You would. No, I thought it was very close. I, I understand why you could go that way with the sub attempts, but I just didn't think anything was close enough that you'd say it yielded good enough results. So I, I leaned on the striking. It makes them defend and, and good, getting good reactions from them. I guess. I don't know if that's enough necessarily, um, at least for me and my interpretation of the criteria here. Close round overall. I, I can see it for either way, so it's not that big a deal. But we had it split here with McCarthy and Weeks going for Hubbard just as I did, whereas Eric Cologne seeing it your way for Rushkoff. Yep. 10-8 watch here. There were really no other rounds that were debatable 10-8s of the rest of the night. Nothing we didn't already discuss. But round two, Austin Hubbard definitely got a 10-8 on everyone's card. Watching at home, watching cage side, right? Yeah, this was an easy 10-8. It's almost as Roshkoff mid-fight decided, I'm done here. Just want to get out of here. I don't know that he decided anything. I think what happened was his body just stopped reacting. I think he he was tired. You know, He took this fight on five days' notice. Yeah, he's, he's much earlier in his career than Austin Hubbard is. This was his sixth fight. You know, He probably wasn't really ready for this level but you know the ufc called and what's a kid gonna do say no no you don't say no no i there's a lot of reasons you don't say no but the more interesting you know for lack of a better word storyline to come out of this was the fact that roshkoff was telling his cornerman that he wanted to stop he told him that what 10 12 times mid round or bunch of rounds two and three once a fighter says they want to quit that's it they they don't have it mentally it's over there's no reason for it. They have no chance to win. You can't talk them out of that in that short of a period of time. Maybe 20 minutes later, he regrets it. But in that moment, he's done. He's not going to regain that that focus and that drive to win in that short of time. And it, I get what Robert Drysdale, again, his his lead cornerman, was trying to do there in, in trying to psych him up. But at a certain point, you've got to realize it's falling on deaf ears. Man, maybe, maybe go once or twice. Come on, you sure? You're really, really sure you want this then? You're your champ. Come on, do this. You don't want to leave him saying, I can't do this. <laughs> you know, he very eagerly told the ref when he asked if he wanted to continue. He said, no, he, he was clear on this. This wasn't somebody who was ambivalent about anything. He knew he didn't have enough in him. And this was after being competitive in this fight. This wasn't like he was just getting beat to heck for 10 minutes. He just knew he was done. Yeah, he was he was finished. 
No one knows a fighter better than him. Exactly. And as much as Robert Drysdale may never quit in a fight, he's not Max Roshkoff. So his mentality cannot be the same mentality. And he, as the lead cornerman, he has a responsibility to look out for his fighter's health. He really does. As, as a licensed cornerman, that is part of it. You can't ignore that. Right. And I hate to say it's about money, where the cornerman's like, oh, you know, we're going to get more money if they win because we get the, the win bonus. I really don't want that to be, but... It's something you have to worry about. It's it, When you talk about the, the pay structure in MMA, especially at the UFC, you're talking about win and, and show money. And, and yeah, if you can talk a guy into getting out there and win, I don't think that's what went through Robert Drysdale's head, but it's something that's there for every cornerman, whether they like it or not. It's at least a little bit in there. Yeah, it's just it's just an extra thing. You can't deny it. So, I don't know. Fighter says it's done. I'm calling it. That's That's how I would coach. Even Dana understood, you know, Dana White after after the fights were saying he understood and you can't really criticize what goes through a guy's head in that sense. You know, credit credit to Dana for saying that. Does it sound like this kid will get another chance because he took such a short notice fight and he quit? God, I don't know. I hope so. He's still early in his career. I, I hope he gets another chance. I don't know if he's ready for it necessarily now. He looked OK for a little while, but he also maybe a contender you know, series fight. Yeah, contender series, you know, something like that. I think it would be more interesting if they sign him to some sort of development deal. You know, maybe he took this fight on a contingency that he does get a second fight. Mm -hmm. I think that there are times where you can negotiate for that. Who knows what was done here? That's behind closed doors. Yeah. All right. So what were the undisputed fights? What did everyone agree on? Well, we all agreed on Tisha Torres getting 30-27 over Brianna Van Buren. I should note, though, that I initially had Van Buren winning round one, and I was wrong. Flipped on that one. I don't know what it was. Maybe I was distracted. Who knows? But anyway, definitely Tisha Torres won all three rounds here. Bilal Muhammad getting 29-28 over Lyman Good. That was a decent fight. Yeah, it was a good fight. Yeah. That was, I mean, everybody agreed there. Mark andre Barrio got round one over Oscar Pihota before he got the finish late in round two. So all those three fights, the judges were nailing the scores. Good job. What about your favorite finish, though? Is it even a surprise what my favorite finish was? Uh, not from you, Jersey boy. Yeah, Jim Miller armbar victory over Roosevelt Roberts in the first round. Come Under on. half a round, he was all. It was what two twenty five. Uh, everything Jim does is killer instinct. Gas tank <laughs> always seems secondary, maybe even tertiary, and that's why everyone loves him. Always goes for the kill. I believe it goes submission, position, endurance. That's yeah. the pecking order for him. For sure. Yeah. Definitely submission before position, that's for sure. And he's gotten really good at it. Yes, he has. You know, for me, same one. I, you know, I couldn't go any other way. Not of a ton of explosive finishes this time. I think that blows apart the the small cage theory. That's a myth. They booked a bunch of non finishers on this card. Yes. That's what happened. Let's go to lest ye be judged. Who were your top judges? My top judge was Sal Diamato. He turned in eleven rounds, and we agreed on all eleven which were the main event, round one of Renau and Tisha Torres. My second best judge was Chris Lee. He turned in the most rounds out of all the judges. He turned in 16 rounds, and we only had one disagreement, which was Blades getting a 10-8 in round one. Yeah, for me, I, I saw it a little differently, but I definitely agreed with every round turned in by Derek Cleary and Ron McCarthy, who turned in 13 and 11 rounds, respectively. The busy night for all the judges, basically, except for Tony Weeks. I thought, on the whole... The judges just nailed everything, uh, just about everything here. You got the right winners. You know, you can't complain there. Hats off, I should say, too, once again, to the main event crew, Saldi Mato, Chris Lee, 
Eric Cologne, especially for giving almost unanimously those last two rounds to Volkov, rightfully so. Great job by them. Yeah, I'm kind of nervous for when we leave Nevada and have some uh, some other judges. How oh it's gosh, turn. I I don't even know who's going to Fight Island. Yeah. I hope I hope some of the Nevada crews heading out there. We'll Hopefully, see. what about uh? I don't. I don't even think you can call a worse judge of the night here. But who was your your judge? Maybe you disagreed with the most. Uh, Rick Winter. Okay. He, how come? Yeah, he turned in eight rounds, and we disagreed on two of them. Courtney Casey round one. I really just don't see it at all. And Lauren Murphy, even though it's a close round, we disagreed. So yeah, it was winter for me as well. But it was really only that one round, the the Casey round that you're talking about. I think we didn't disagree on anything else. But that round was probably the only round of the entire night where I look at it and I'm like, I just don't see an argument for it. It just doesn't add up to me. But it's moot. Robinson got the submission in round three. Didn't matter. That's all for this episode of the Couchside Judges. On Friday's episode, we'll be looking ahead to this coming Saturday's next UFC Apex event. We're working on having a guest, but if that falls through, we'll have a segment of past judgment for you. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to us to get the alert when new episodes drop. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Couchside Judges, as well as myself at Dan Urban MMA. Also follow me on Twitter at Scott underscore Fontana. Thanks for giving us a listen. And as always, stay healthy and safe. See ya.